was a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on Friday, the 5th of December, 2008. My, my beginnings of every talk really come down to the website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, because on that website you'll find, I think it's over 600 hours, maybe more, of talks I've given in the past, over the years, about this big matrix. We live in this big Reality, everything that you think is real has been projected to you, indoctrinated into you through repetition. I show you the methods. I go through various authors who helped the big foundations come up with these plans to create this reality. I go into the creation of culture, the alteration direction of culture, and where the plans are all set up to to end up. At least that's where you're going to end up because we follow, never thinking that things are actually directed that way. And last night I read from a book by Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, who was a big uh, helper, a, a helper, uh, an actor they'd call him today uh, from the United Nations. Uh, they'd say they call him actors, people who help direct the big think tanks and foundations, etc., on behalf of the pre-existing elites who've run the world for a long, long time. So on my website you'll find shortcuts to the truth uh, with the facts enclosed, no spacemen, no shapeshifters, none of, uh, none of that stuff uh, that spooks you out and brings you into what's called the circus in intelligence services because they created the circus. It's the best way to discredit facts. It's called counterintelligence, and they call it the circus. And thousands of youngsters especially fall into the trap and go round in loops when they try to explain what's happening to people around them, they sound like they're absolutely crazy. That's the intention of it, and it works very well. So get the facts, go into the histories, and it's stunning enough. We find out that everything that we take for granted in our lives, our entire lives, all the big events, even how the fashion industry is led and why it's led that way, is all connected to create a particular reality which will stop you from thinking outside Plato's cave. Also look into Alan Watt Sentient Sentinel for documents from these, or transcripts from these talks I've given, which you can download and print up, and they're written in different languages, the languages of Europe. It's very difficult for people who listen often to the bad news, especially when they're just beginning to wake up, to realize how bad it is. We've all been taught to be happy, think on the bright side, has been so encouraged for years now that it's hard to look reality in the face. We, we like, we'd want to believe what the media tells us. We want to believe that things like the economy just suddenly crashed for no reason and no one saw it coming and we all must change our behavior, our way of living and so on. We want to believe that because the alternative is to start looking into how it's all been directed 
And you cannot go down through the history and the articles and publications by the big foundations in particular without concluding that if these guys could write about this agenda 50, 100 years ago, 30, 20 years ago, and every step of their agenda, well, they're very lucky guessers. They must have good crystal balls because they've never, ever missed a step in this agenda. Last night from Russell's book from 1931, he talked about how everyone was being standardized then by the same news from all the different media sources. Same news, standardized man. Back with more after this break. Again, we have truly been desensitized 
to all kinds of horror. Things which have turned people's stomachs 50, 60 years ago are, are, we don't even blink at anymore. We hear the prattle on about democracy, and I explained in that book last night from Bertrand Russell what he really thought of democracy and what it was. It was there to serve the elite, and that was the function of all the society down beneath the elite was to serve society. That was their only purpose. And yet, if you or I or anyone else was to kill someone in public, and even if we said that we're sorry, uh, uh, I killed the wrong guy, it wouldn't make any difference. You'd be punished because, because you killed someone. Well, in 2005, I think it was a Brazilian, was killed in London by the security forces who'd followed him and ran after him. They chased him. I think the guy started running when people with guns started to approach him and eyeball him. And I think most folk would do the same. I think he was an electrician as well. And eventually they got him in an area and they got him down and then they shot him in the head a few times just to make sure, mind you. And they have inquiries in the Commonwealth countries into police or security force shootings. And these inquiries are always called impartial inquiries, but they're headed by uh, generally ex-policemen themselves or Scotland Yard or whatever it happens to be. Here's what happened, an inquiry about the, 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 the shooting, the wrongful shooting of this particular man called Mendes. Thursday, 2nd of October 2008 from AOL. And it says here, Menzies Operation Commander praised. The senior policewoman in charge of the operation that led to the shooting of Jeans Charles de Menzies was outstanding that day. So, so the person in charge of the operation that led to the shooting of this guy was outstanding that day. An inquest has heard. Commander Cressida Dick was a designated senior officer on July 22, 2005, under the Metropolitan Police's Operation Kratos, interesting name policy, for dealing with suspected suicide bombers. And before going to the rest of this, I'll just mention that anyone in her capacity at that level is part of intelligence. She's not just part of the Metropolitan Police Force Operation Department. That's intelligence sections. That's number one says she was the best choice to lead the control room overseeing the pursuit of Mr. Demenzis amid fears he could be a terrorist, Hussein Osman, the inquest into the innocent Brazilian's death was told. The innocent Brazilian's death, right, was told. Detective Chief, Chief Superintendent John Butcher, interesting name, he's well named for his role, her senior officer at the time said he agreed with all her decisions and praised her calm and sensible head. Well, at least she walked away with her still on. He told the hearing, Commander Dick was outstanding that day. I think we, are, we were extremely fortunate to have her as designated senior officer. I think perhaps one of two or three of the best choices we had available in the Met, Metropolitan, in my view, the best. Her performance that day was exemplary. Mr. Butcher, who was in charge of the manhunt for the failed suicide bombings behind the July 22, 2005, 
2005 attacks on London, said he took full responsibility for all Commander Dick's decisions. So they're telling you that this intelligence officer who works uh, in the Metro Police Department it has massive protection because she's important. You see? And then he says, I am the senior investigating officer, and not only do I stand... Now, see, he, this guy was, was, had the, the same position as she did. He says, I am the senior investigating officer. So, so they're investigating themselves. And not only do I stand by Commander Dick's decision, she's a commander. You, see, you should look into the term commander and who gets to use that term in Britain. Like Commander James Bond. I actually believe this was my operation, he said. I put that structure in place, and I am responsible for the operation July 21st. He added, I have reflected on the day because of the tragic offense of Mr. Demenz's death, and I don't think there's anybody that I would have selected to be part of that structure that wasn't there. On Wednesday, Mr. Butcher told the inquest he believed no mistakes were made during the operation that led to the shooting of the Brazilian. He said, I cannot see anything we could have done that would have changed the course of the tragedy of Mr. Demenzies. That's awfully comforting, isn't it? But you see, what I'm trying to say here is we read these articles without thinking. Now, there's a big organization came out in Britain a few years ago, out of nowhere, with the same MO as the Royal Institute of International Affairs, they call it the Chatham House Society. Different terms for the same thing. Chatham House, as I said before, was the, the OSS headquarters for intelligence in World War II. Why was that? It's because it already was an intelligence service for the elites. And it has rules about what it can say to the public and what its members cannot say to the, the public. They're actually given certain things that they can openly say to the public. And when you look into an organization called Common Purpose in Britain that's heavily funded out of nowhere, that's recruiting people in uniform, in the military, right up the ranks, in police, right up the ranks, and so on. And they're actually... Using, getting grants from the government as well, then you know it's, it's part of this official, unofficial intelligence service. And why do I bring this article into it? It's because, you see, Commander Dick is a high chutzpah in the common purpose group. Very important person. And when the very important people do anything wrong or kill people, it will never go down the record as being wrong. Never. So innocent people can get slaughtered in the streets. And everybody with spaghetti on the cap. Spaghetti is a term they use for all that uh, yellow goldish trim on the skip of their, their helmets that they wear. When they're the officers. Anyone with spaghetti, you see, will have their rear end covered and they'll make sure that Ms. Dick is covered too. And I'm showing you how they're all interrelated. All those that shape opinion and force opinion, by the way, as well. On media and have no problem getting access to media. And even ideas into education as to what should be taught. Every field of activity. Intelligence service operatives today 
can wear a uniform one day, plain clothes the next, and be working for their other foundations the next, and then back to uniform again. Interchangeable. These are the real, this is the real joke about shifters. You see, they keep changing their roles and their dresses. That's all it is. That's all it is. Nothing about weird DNA from millions of years ago from the Anunnaki, stuff like that. That's what it's about. But they're all interrelated, as I say. So some poor, innocent guy gets killed, and they say he's innocent, but the operation was a success. How's that for getting off with it when you're the right kind of person with the right kind of backing? I'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, trying to get some reality. And it takes a lot of doing because we've all had such intense indoctrination into alternate reality, the one that was planned for us to believe in. So I do my best to cut through the nonsense. And before going to callers, I, I should mention that I was going to talk about eugenics tonight because behind it all is deletes obsession not only a, a recent obsession, but it's been done through the ages, about, you know, the peasant class and the common class over, overtaking the better type at the top and using up their resources for the future, for their offspring, who have the right to live according to the Darwinian laws. They're superior, see? I had to laugh and chuckle when, when Huxley and, and others mentioned that if uh, people even with the glasses reading glasses, for instance, or they were short-sighted or they're long-sighted, if they were allowed to reproduce, my God, in 100, 200 years, everybody would need glasses. In other words, he said, because it's in previous times when we're all hunting in the forest and dragging our knuckles around with clubs and all that, if you had good eyesight, you were a better hunter, so your chances of success and survival were better than those who had poor eyesight. So the poor eyesight guys would starve to death. And these are the kind of rationales they give you for the eugenics plan. It's, 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 you have to laugh or you'd cry. Really. And here's the latest thing. I, I went through all the foundations today, just, just for a glance at them. And I went to the Dalton Foundation, uh, the Galton one, sorry, it's Galton. The Galtons intermied with the Darwins. And they all have foundations all working together to the same ends. And they changed their name from the Eugenics Society to, to genetic research society, to something else. Now they're called bioethics societies. But they're the, they're the experts who guide us, bioethics. They bring them on television to tell us that they're in charge of the ethics of everything to, to do with the genetics and the agenda. And we think they're nice people. They're all eugenicists. And their own newsletter, the, some of their members regretted that they changed their name from the eugenics society. They camouflage themselves. And here's some more Garbage they've come up with from the BBC News. 5th of December 2008. Intelligent men have better sperm. Now I've done a whole, a whole series of talks on what they've done to the people with the artificial estrogen content in their food and so on. 
It's been there since the 1930s, but mainly from the 50s onwards. I've read articles about how they'd have to find ways to make men infertile and alter them. Literally alter them, make them more effeminate. That's all happened. It's happened in my lifetime. And the guys who were talking about it at the time, like like uh, Galton Darwin, Charles Galton Darwin, who published his own book on it, on behalf of the elite, how to do it and how to introduce it into society to make the men infertile. I've, I've read all the different things. So here they are again, at it again, you see. Men of, men of higher intelligence tend to produce better quality sperm, UK research suggests. A team from the Institute of Psychiatry go into the history of psychiatry and look what it's based upon. When Darwin's theories came out, they led to different belief systems, really. Survival of the fittest, etc., being at the top of the list. And out of that came various other institutions, including psychiatry. Everything suddenly must be based on your hereditary characteristics, they thought. And that's where the idea of the poverty gene came up, and all the eugenicists jumped on it. So psychiatry is based on flawed genes. You're are perfectly what they would class as normal, which would be a good psychopath. You'd be up there with your own tower in New York, you see, after, after having lied and, and steal, stolen and, and cheated and used everyone around you to get up there, and that'd be normal, you'd be successful. Or, or you wouldn't be, you'd have a poverty gene if you didn't make it. So the Institute of Psychiatry, and remember the same Institute of Psychiatry uh, funded a book. It's called The Human Agenda. I should read it. They talk about creating hermaphrodites in it. The same institution. For peace, you understand. World peace. She's analyzed data from former U.S. soldiers who served during the Vietnam War era. They found that those who performed better on intelligence tests tended to have more and more mobile sperm. Meaning that the ones who didn't perform so well on the... And again, you know who designed that intelligence test? It was Galton. Galton is a guy, and it's even admitted in the history books, he fudged all the figures and so on to try and bolster his theories of superior types and inferior types. And in other words, too, in other words, if you fail your intelligence test or you're a bit poor on it, your sperm are too stupid to know where to go. Huh? Meanwhile, I've read all the articles about infertility. I've, I've, I've told you about the CBC broadcast on it, The Disappearing Mill. The video. I've got a link on my website where you can go and see it. And it was all done or due to bisphenol A and phthalates and various other things which are artificial estrogens which literally destroy males' ability, not just the sperm itself, but their ability to produce it and alters them physically as well. But here they're claiming it's all to do with your IQ. It's your IQ is at fault. And that's why the sperm doesn't, they don't know where you go. There's no guide, you see. The study, which appears in the journal Intelligence, see? It's a journal called Intelligence. It's all Darwinistic eugenics. It appears to support the idea that genes underlying intelligence may have other biological effects, too. And I'll be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, Alan Watt here, cutting through the matrix. Just to finish off with that article, just to mention that I'm sure this article here came out in response to the findings, the factual, empirical findings by testing that have been published recently to do with, with what's causing infertility amongst men. They never give up, though, do they? It's, it's your fault if your sperm don't know where to go. Just because you're stupid. You, you haven't evolved enough, you see. You're a vestige left over from a previous type of human. And all that nonsense. But this stuff is preached to the top. Remember, repetition. Repetition, as Bertrand Russell said, is so important. It doesn't matter what they're telling you, as long as you start to repeat it after eight times or ten times of hearing it, because you'll start to believe it, you see. And he said himself, there's no nonsense so arrant that cannot be made. The creed, the belief of the vast majority by adequate government action. They never give up, do they? No matter what evidence comes up. To the contrary, they'll tell you that the moon is made of green cheese. And unfortunately, a lot of people believe it. Well, we'll go to the phones now. We've got Keith from Dallas there. Are you there, Keith? Good Hello, evening, Keith. Dr. Watt. How you doing? Not so bad. I'm hanging in here. Good. Again, great show, Dr. Watt. And uh, I just wanted to tell everyone that's listening, please donate to Dr. Watt so he doesn't have to go. We all love him. And if everyone just donated five bucks, it would be great. Okay. Um, Dr. Watt, I wanted to make a couple of comments. Uh, you know, I always wondered, like, where were the people, the 30 to 40 and the 50-year-olds in 1961, when Eisenhower warned about the military-industrial complex taking over, and also the same year, JFK speaking out against secret society. And mm -hmm. so I wonder what, you know, why, now, nowadays it seems like when you put two and two together, you come out with three. Yeah. So, but, and, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. The problem is, though, that, that's, uh, again, that book I read from last night was a precursor to one written about 20 years later by the same author, Bertrand Russell, and he said already in the 1930s that they had control over the people's minds because it already uh, made sure that all news was given, uh, all, all the same news was given to the same media across the world at the same time by the 30s. So even when you get a bit of truth coming out, we, we just can't, we're not taught how to place it. We, don't, we can't reason anymore how to place this strange piece that, that leaks out to the public. It doesn't fit in with all the other stuff that you're given. And people tend to simply dismiss it. Yeah. Lord Russell, um, you know, that book, Impact of Science and Society and uh, Education and the Good Life, he, he has stoned the biggest, as big as Jupiter. I'm just floored by the things that he says. And mm -hmm. when you talk to people today about the certain things that he says, it just goes through their mind like a 7.62 millimeter round. I mean, just no, it doesn't juggle around in there at all. It's straight mm -hmm. through Yep. And I'm like, did you not hear what I just said to you? You know, and it's just, it's t t so tasking to talk to people. That, well, that's just this. it. You see, again, that's what Brzezinski said. See, there's other techniques being used as well. And we have had chemical warfare on us through the food for a long time. Uh, to, and it has dropped the IQ. That was part of the purpose that Charles Galton Darwin talked about, not only to make them infertile, but to drop the IQ level so that they couldn't literally figure things out. And then we have Brzezinski in his technotronic era uh, talking about, um, in the chapter between two ages, he mentions the fact that a, a technique is short to be used on the public 
which will influence all of their opinions and so on, and they will have no idea where it's coming from. He was talking about the harp-type technology that they'd use by setting up antennas, etc., through all uh, urban-type areas. They're going up. I have photographs of them. It's quite amazing what they're putting up. These, these new transmitters are just long poles with almost like microphone socks on the end, if you know what they look like. And they have their own transformers, and they don't, they're not claimed by any company. They just have high voltage on them. So these are, this is what Brzezinski was talking about, the technotronic warfare that would control their minds. Oh, my goodness. You're talking about the big, gigantic towers. They're, like, way taller than regular phone towers. No, oh no these ones aren't so tall. In fact, they're only about 50, okay. 60 feet high. But, so they're scattering them across Canada and Europe, and I have photographs sent from, from different countries of the same thing, yeah. You mean like on that movie, They Live, where they basically, you know, sleep, you know, the little... Pretty well, pretty well, and, and that's, in, in the, that's actually in the literature on the HARP technology, that's H-A-A-R-P, uh, and in the, 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 um, the Weather Warfare Treaty of the United Nations, that it can be used by carrying a secondary signal to influence the behavior and, and even um, the minds of, of people and a basket, even in a whole, across a whole continent if necessary. This is part of the, the tranquilizing um, methods that's been mentioned even to use in anti-terrorism uh, to tranquilize the public. So they talk about combinations of chemicals if need be. They can spray them over the public um, in panic times, or they can also use these signals. And they have been tested out on the general population They do work, and uh, now they're putting up the darn things in preparation for what's coming. Yeah. I have one question for you, Doug, please. Um, in the Bible, which, when it goes into Jesus uh, standing up to the money, to the, the bankers in the temple, is, is that more of the, uh, you know, mock the victim? Because, you know, we know the banks doubled as the temples in ancient mm-hmm. times, so why would they slip that in there? I think probably well, we, we know for a fact there was someone at that time who did definitely. Uh, in fact, in Jewish records, they have different people who led rebellions. Uh, but we do know that someone of significance did stand up uh, in a different fashion uh, because it's in the Talmud. It's a Jewish record. And they, they had his name down too as a, as a Jesus, I believe. And he stood up against the banking system, which the regular Pharisees did not because they were part of the banking system. You could not take foreign currency into the temple. So you had to exchange it at the door for, for the holy currency. And it was a big markup, of course, for those who ran that, that system. Uh, but that was the same in all countries in ancient time. The Phoenicians really set up the first system of that across their empire. And... Um, so what you find is that someone did stand up and say you couldn't bring money and commerce and, and profit into any relationship with a, a god. And he was, uh, I wouldn't say it was a mistake to do it. Uh, he, he did the right thing, and uh, we know what happened. <laughs> in this instance, there's a huge church here called the Potter's House, and an uh, interesting name for a church. And uh, there's ATMs all throughout this huge church. Yeah. There's like 20,000 members, and there's... ATMs everywhere. I mean, you know, okay, whenever you time to make your many donations. Yes. Anyway, Dr. Wattis, it's been great talking to you again. Have a Will good you day. hang in there too? Thank you, sir. Bye now.
But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, even in, in Rome and in Greece, uh, the, the temple, it's always the goddess. And for Rome, it was, I think, Diana. That's where they minted, in, in her temple, they minted the coin for the realm. Now we'll go to, we've got the culture creator in South America. Are you there? Hello, Alan. How are you? How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Got a little uh, surprise the other day. I didn't even realize it. Someone had taken and recorded uh, the conversation that we had the last time, mm-hmm. and I uh, ended up putting it up on YouTube and under, I believe, Freemasons take over hip hop or yeah. something of that nature. It was it was quite interesting because I ended up uh, just going through one of the uh, sites that I normally browse through and. And, and I clicked on the title, and I said, this is interesting, and ended up hearing myself. So that was a, a bit of a surprise. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully some people, you know, even though there was one point that was a number of points that were made on this particular blog um, about it, there was a part that I had to stand corrected on where the artist did not say he was so enlightened, I'm sorry, so illuminated he could glow in the dark, but he said he was so enlightened he could go in the dark and uh, basically meaning the same thing I just used uh, different term the improper word <laughs> yeah I wanted to call on something else something completely different basically what you were speaking about already I sent you an email recently um, about a book by the name of O Presidente Negro which um, I speak Spanish and Portuguese uh, living down here in South America and the actual Translation of the book is The Black President, and the subtitle is Or the Clash of Races. It's by a gentleman by the name of Montero Lobato. And uh, it's quite interesting because he wrote this book in 1926. Mm-hmm. And uh, since Obama got in office, it had been, you know, coming out all across that, you know, hey, this, was, this guy was prophetic and so on and so forth. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, the more that I, you know, after I heard about this, I decided to look into it a little bit. And uh, it's interesting because it, he said this gentleman would win in 2,228 mm-hmm. and that he would be the 88th president. Now, you know, if you go and know a little bit about numerology, there's two twos in the middle there that you can take out and you'll have 2,008. And you can divide those two twos into the 88 and end up being 44, which is pretty much what uh, the number that Obama is. But nonetheless, it was interesting because in this book, written in 1926, he was up against a woman and a white male. Mm-hmm. So it, it literally falls right in line with what actually happened in terms of the race and, and everything. But what was interesting, the this book that this gentleman wrote, and he ended up being a a, a, a big writer of children's books. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that in uh, yep. the country of Brazil? And a uh, very, very famous gentleman. I found out that the, the, the city that he is actually from is called Tabuate, and it has six uh, uh, Masonic lodges, one which is now named after this gentleman. Mm-hmm. And uh, the actual city that he's from... Um, that is named after him is not too far from where he was born. 
And in the midst of all this, in this particular book, he also spoke about uh, eugenics yeah. and how a race war and, and race wars would be started as a result of this president coming into office. Now, you know, down in South America, there are old bookstores that you can go and you can find. As a matter of fact, I've found many books that you have recommended, everything from, you know, The Third Wave to um, uh, Plato's Republic and things. I mean, I found them for, you know, 50 cents. You yep. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up going and getting this book, and because I can read in Portuguese, it was quite interesting that I was able to, to see what this gentleman was talking about many, many years ago. And in the email that I sent to you, I was basically um, – making some points uh, about how the world is planned. And you made a statement one day that you were even under the, had the thought that Obama could have been, or maybe, completely groomed, even mm-hmm. from birth. Oh, yeah. Even the, the end. Oh, the, the, the fire fact. picked and everything. I mean, it goes further than that. You have to go, if you go into the, the mother's history, You'll be absolutely astonished at, at uh, I wouldn't say a dedication, it was an obsession right. to, to breed, uh, definitely with, with a black man. And, mm-hmm. and, then, then, uh, and, and yet look at the religion that she was born into, because they, they bred, they literally bred a lot of world revolutionaries. So they did this kind of thing on purpose. And you can tie a lot into this, into the the 1800s and many of the societies that Freemasonry uh, had, had started up to do with eugenics back then, like the Oneida community, uh, and th- right. they were literally creating children, superior children, they believed by selecting who could mate with who, who could not mate with who in the communities, and so on and so on. Uh, so they were at it in a big, big way in the U.S. Uh, back then. And out of that spawned, when they, when they broke up the society, and by the way, they were allowed to have pedophilia in that society. Uh, so the young men who, who were just going into puberty were groomed in all the, the techniques of sex by women who right. uh, were menopausal, couldn't conceive. Right. And the right. state itself was giving them special uh, protection against, because uh, uh, they were breaking every law in the book, basically. So right. you've to understand, right. this is old. But once they changed into different sects, you'd be surprised at the different sex, and that's where you must trace his mother to. Yeah, and, I, and I, when you speak about that and, and the time and how long ago this was and, in, and thinking in terms of how the world is planned and how, on average, people are just taught to think, what are you going to do in the next five years? Yeah. And uh, in the last call that, that I had with you, I said something at the end where, you know, I received an invitation to come in to a particular society and, one of the last things the gentleman mentioned to me was he said, and we want your son. Yes, yes, and, and, that's right. And I said, huh? You, yeah. you want my son? He says, mm-hmm. yeah, and we want 25 years of service. And, and so these numbers are very important. See, the holy trinity of Freemasonry is grandfather, father, son. Son, exactly. Yeah, because the, the two, okay, and I, and, 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 it's, it's all to do with eugenics because they supply the wives. Right, right. Yeah. And this was something that I would mention, I didn't mention before, uh, Alan, when I was 12, my father was a, a Mason. And, uh, you know, the only thing, you know, that he ever taught me about was that. I was one of the people who I believe uh, 
fought in my, within myself because it made no sense to me why I would choose to be, in many cases, humiliated yeah. um, for the sake of the, I guess, the, the divine right or to be able to be in the good graces. And I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, and I said, why would I want to put someone else in charge of my life why would I want to let my destiny be controlled by someone else, especially someone I don't know, a, a yeah. religion that is so ancient that only only God really knows what in the world is really going on behind it? And I said, I'd rather stand on my own feet, even if it means I struggle and make my way through, yeah. than to be on my knees and to have everything go my way, to have every door open, I refuse to do that. It's just a, a point yeah. of integrity. And maybe my father didn't have that. Yeah, you know, quick now because you're taking up other callers here. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, I did that last time someone else yeah. told me. So, well, that, 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 that's really all. But, but I, I know what you mean, though. And, uh, and absolutely. And, of course, every mason takes an oath to blindly obey any order given by the superior and reserve all moral judgment and carry out that order. That's a fact because they get, they're well paid and they get tips to do it. Yeah. But thanks for calling. Now we've, we've got Keith in Indiana. Are you there, Keith? Hello, Alan. Hello. Yes. I, I talked to you briefly once before. Yeah. I got a question for you. Do you believe that, uh, you believe that God preserved his word onto this day, that we can find the truth? Uh, I think uh, that people, everyone has a chance to find the truth if they truly want to. And I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts, cutting through the matrix and we'll go to Joe in Florida. Hey there, Joe. Hey, Alan. Hello. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, I, I, me, I was at a, with a, a friend at a coffee shop today, and we were having a discussion. I wanted to put a couple things by you. One is, what do you think about the old biblical term, the jubilee, the forgiveness of debts every 50 years, and the fact that, you know, we are supposedly somewhat of a Christian nation, which is supposedly against usury, and it just seems like that's a term that's forgotten by all these evangelical Christians and the modern-day Christians, and they've really done a, a great job. And, you know, I mean, if we're going to be a Christian nation, we shouldn't just take all the turn-the-other-cheek stuff and not get the good stuff like the Jubilee and the debt forgiveness. Um, yeah, you know, but the problem is even, even uh, interest in usury was accepted by the Catholic Church early on, too, as long as they weren't the guys collecting the money. Uh, they would take all the money that would come in their way, but they weren't the ones uh, managing it. So, but eventually they went into banking themselves in a big way and had commerce going. In fact, the Jesuits had ships going to Japan before anybody else did, uh, commercial ships. And uh, and they were running big business. And, then, and the Protestant ideology, when it came along, uh, was based on a, a pro so-called progressive um, industrial society with thriftiness and hard work and saving your money and all that stuff. So, unfortunately, this whole idea um, was wiped out a whole a long time ago about forgiveness of debt uh, and so on. Even the scam they pull for the United Nations uh, for forgiveness of debt of third world countries is done on behalf of the big banks because then the, the, the people who are put down uh, as the guarantors, that's the citizens of the U.S., Canada, and so on, still have to cough up that money. 
They just don't make the ones who borrowed it pay up, who can't do it anyway. So they keep these perpetual scams going with debt. And you're quite right. So you cannot have a just society with a monetary system um, and, and, and profits and poverty in the one end and the fear of poverty that the rest of them see and, and of the carrot stick of getting to the top. That means that only the psychopaths will get to the top in this system. And that is actually what has happened. Well, one of the, one of the things we were discussing in, is how in the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, and they used to use the term forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Yeah. And it's turned into forgive us our trespass as yeah. we forgive those who, and I'm like, that's interesting that they would change that in the, in the, uh, Lutheran, and in the Anglican book of uh, prayer, just around in the 1928, I think, was the Anglicans in the 1950s with the Lutherans. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like a way that they've conditioned Christians to go along with the debt system. I don't know, maybe that's paranoia, but it's Oh, oh no, I'm sure it is, because every, every alteration in the Bible down through the centuries has always been done for political reasons by the elite themselves. You're quite right, yeah. Yeah, so I just wanted to spring it by you, and I'm... I'm Glad to hear your comments, and thank you for all you're thanks, doing. Thanks for calling. Yeah, that, that is true. And as I say, you go back to Bertrand Russell's book that I quote from last night. He goes into a lot of this kind of stuff and how everything that's given to the public um, is, is managed and put out there by the elite to serve the elite. And for new times, when they brought in a new system or, or a new part of their system, a new direction of their system, upgrading, I call it, um, they alter biblical books, not just in Christianity, but in other religions across the world as well. And they also create the new religion of earth worship and mix it with Baha'i, etc., for the greening of the planet, which is going to be the worst tyranny we've ever seen. Well, from Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada, where it's about two feet of snow, so far where I am, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.